It's a powerful exercise to imagine your own funeral. Uh, imagine, if you would, that you have four people eulogizing you at your funeral, and those people are your spouse, one of your children, a close friend who knows you very well, and let's say the fourth person is a coworker, someone who saw you up close and personal in the workplace day after day. And each of these people is speaking at your funeral. There you are. You're looking down on this from heaven. That's your body, sure enough, lying in the casket. And there they are, gathered around, paying their respects. The big question I think all of us would probably have is, what would you want those four individuals to say about you at your funeral? Once you've determined what you want to be said about you, we should live in such a way that those things will actually be said. We should live with the end in view. Uh, well, this little exercise uh, actually comes from Stephen Covey. It came in a book many, many years ago. And this funeral exercise has caused many people to think about their lives in a powerful new way. I mean, to be sure, living with, the end in, uh, living with the end in view is a powerful way to live one's life. Uh, but this morning, I want to share with you and suggest that there's an even more powerful way to live your life, a way that's even more meaningful, filled with more significance, and that is not simply living with the end in view. No, it's living with eternity in view. If we were to live with eternity in view, imagine the difference it would make in our lives. For the last few weeks, Pastor Rex has shown us from God's word, the theme of rewards in heaven is huge in the Bible. It comes up again and again and again. We had that fabulous list last week from the New Testament, not to mention all the examples in the Old Testament. It's clear God is the great rewarder, and we will, in fact, be repaid and rewarded for every deed done for him. Three of my favorite Old Testament passages that teach this are, first of all, Jeremiah 17, verse 10, great verse. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. Psalm 62, verses 11 through 12, one thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and in verse 12, and that you, O Lord, are loving, surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. Third, Proverbs 24, verses 11 through 12 have this vivid, compelling imagery as you read through it. It says this, rescue those who are being led away to death. Hold back those that are staggering towards slaughter. If you say to yourself, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Listen, it's my hope today that nobody walks away from this series 
without understanding the topic of rewards in heaven is huge in Scripture. When we live with eternity in view, it is an absolute game changer. But here's my concern this morning. If some of you begin to mention this kind of a thing to your family members, your coworkers, your friends, listen, let's be honest about it. In a culture like ours, my guess is you're going to get challenged. Am I right? Unbelieving friends or family members may even try to shame you when they hear you talk about rewards in heaven. You know, they might even come in and hit you with that tired old bromide. You're so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. What they probably don't understand is that those who are the most heavenly-minded throughout the centuries, those are the ones who have consistently done the most earthly good. You see, the reality is one of the key messages of the Bible is simply this. Hey, because you have the blessed hope of a better world to come and rewards awaiting you there, in light of that, you should pray, you should work, and you should do that with all your might to make the world a better place. That's the message of Christianity when it comes to the practical impact of our future hope. And if you do your historical homework carefully, you'll find that it was the very Christians who believed most passionately in future rewards in heaven who actually did the most to make this world a better place here and now. Virtually every humanitarian breakthrough of the 19th century, from the abolishing of the transatlantic slave trade to the implementation of compassionate labor laws for children who were being worked to death 12 hours a day in factories, to the fight for the rights of all people, you name it, were virtually all led and championed by people of faith who believed tenaciously in personal rewards in heaven. And yet, that belief, the belief in rewards in heaven, didn't make them of no earthly good Rather, it stoked their passion to build a better world here and now. I think that's why this concept is such a game changer. Living with eternity in view is a powerful way to live. As we've seen over the past few weeks, it puts, as Pastor Rex says, pep in your step, passion in your prayers, and sacrifice in your service. Well, today, I want us to wrap up this series by exploring what I believe is one of the most formative passages in the New Testament to help us understand the nature of rewards. So let's look at it together in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality 
of each man's work. Verse 14, if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. In this amazing passage, the Apostle Paul compares building a building to building a life. And it's a powerful analogy, one that we can learn a lot from as we think about our lives that we are seeking to build for God's glory. By God's grace, you're here today living and breathing. You're building a life, and I too am building a life. And since it will go on for all of eternity, we're wise to examine how and what kind of life and what we're actually building. So whether you're 10 years old, 50, or maybe knocking on the door of being 100 years old, there's something all of us can learn from this passage because there is so much insight contained in it for us today. Today, I want to make three positive declarations that I believe flow right out of these verses. The first is this. As we think about building a life, first, let's build on the right foundation because only one is solid. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Each week in this series, Pastor Rex has reminded us that there are only two things we are responsible for on Judgment Day. They are the Savior question, and I'm going to test you. Does anyone know the other one? Call it out. The stewardship question. Absolutely. And when we look at the Savior question, we're simply thinking about this. What did I do with Jesus Christ? Have I repented of my sins and accepted him as my Lord and Savior? Or have I rejected him? Have I kind of pushed him aside and out of my life? This, the Savior question, is the most important question of all. It has everything to do with my entrance into heaven. You see, the reality is we can never do enough good works. We can never be good enough. We can never merit the forgiveness of sins and enter heaven by our own works, goodness, or righteousness. Folks, that's why Jesus died on the cross, so that the penalty for my sin could be paid for. Hear me today. That is the only basis upon which I or any of us can enter heaven. The victorious and risen Lord Jesus Christ is the only adequate foundation for building a life for eternity. Now, someone might say in response to that, boy, that's pretty narrow-minded. That's pretty offensive. I believe Someone might say that there are many ways to God, many ways a person can be saved, and I'm offended that you claim that there is only one. Well, hey, if that's you, I want you to know today, I would never dare make such an exclusive claim of my own. 
But to be honest with you, I do believe the Lord Jesus Christ knew what he was talking about when he said this in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, speaking of himself, I am the definite article way. I am the definite article truth. I am the life. And just in case you misunderstood, no one, according to Jesus of Nazareth, no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the foundation of any building project is the most important part. Why? Because without a solid foundation, that building may look good for a while. It may even stand for a few years or a decade or so, but without an adequate foundation, it's eventually going to collapse. As you think about the life you're building, the most important thing I could ever say is be sure you're building on the right foundation of Jesus Christ. That's the only foundation that is solid. Second, not only should we build on a firm foundation, but we should also build with quality because quality matters. There's an old story about a crooked building contractor who built a house for a wealthy friend. He wanted to make as much money as he possibly could, so this guy cut a bunch of corners. He used inferior products, shoddy workmanship, I mean, just throughout the whole project. But when the house was finished, the wealthy friend gave the man the keys and said, it's yours. And suddenly, upon hearing those words, the builder had deep sorrow and remorse regarding the way he had built. We all know this, don't we? Quality matters. So once you've settled the foundation issue, you are certainly not finished building a life. In a sense, you're only getting started. Did you know that God sees the quality with which we build? Uh, one of the biblical names for God in the Old Testament is El Roy, and it simply means the God who sees. The psalmist describes this in Psalm 121 in verse 7. Speaking of God, it says, He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. You see, the Lord sees the house that you're building and that I'm building. Jesus taught that the Father knows the very number of hairs on your head. I mean, I would say that that's some pretty intimate and specific knowledge about our lives. The Scriptures teach us that He knows our every word, our every thought, and even our every motive. Folks, it's staggering to think about that and realize that He truly is the God who sees everything. And as we've seen in this series, God not only sees, but he is a rewarder of those who do good deeds, catch this, with pure motives. 
Scripture also suggests there will be degrees of punishment in hell and different levels of rewards in heaven as well. Consider what Jesus said to the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida in Matthew chapter 11. There Jesus says to those cities, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. In other words, there will be evidently varying degrees of punishment based upon how we responded to the amount of light that we had. So we'll definitely be evaluated by God based on how we stewarded our one and only life. Question for you this morning. What opportunities did we have in this life? How do we use them? When you think about your life, how have you stewarded the resources and the gifts and the influence that you have? Well, on that day, our thoughts will be revealed. Our motives, our words, our deeds done in secret, they'll all be brought into the open at judgment day by the searing fire of God's judgment. Picking back up in our passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, in verse 12, it says, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14, if what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. Wow. Take a moment. Think about what it would feel like to suffer loss on that day. What does it even mean? What are the implications for those who suffer loss on the day of judgment. Well, in 2 John verse 8, it says, watch yourselves that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but catch this, that you might receive a full reward, that you might receive a full reward. It's a tough pill to swallow, but scripture says you can get less than a full reward. You can suffer loss at Judgment Day. For instance, it may be revealed on that day that some of our motives, they were impure. That sacrificial service for that elderly relative, perhaps it was actually performed begrudgingly to avoid being cut out of the will. That reward, gone. It'll be lost on judgment day. Conversely, the one who served the hurting, the one who served the undeserved people with, underserved people rather, with genuine compassion, those will be commended and rewarded for that. The searing scrutiny of God's evaluation will reveal the quality of our actions and of our motives. 
The image Paul uses here in our text, he describes our various actions and motives as gold, silver, precious stones, and he kind of compares and contrasts that with wood, hay, and straw. He sets these two groups of materials in juxtaposition. And since Paul himself doesn't explain the difference between them, we're kind of left to wonder what is the difference supposed to be? Well, there are two major explanations given for what these materials represent and what Paul's meaning is. One explanation is that wood, hay, and straw are all surface materials. They all grow on the surface of the earth. Gold, silver, and precious stones, on the other hand, have to be mined. To be sure, occasionally you'll find them on the surface, but typically you have to go deep down below the surface of the earth in order to bring them up. So this view, this first view, suggests that God doesn't want us to simply skim through life with shallow living. This view suggests that the life God rewards is not an inch deep and a mile wide. If you don't want to suffer less on judgment day, according to this view, then live a deep life. Avoid shallow living and just skimming the surface of life. He wants us to be people who seek to know the depths of God's riches and realize that the best things in life, honestly, they're not easy to acquire. They typically require arduous effort to put in, just like mining for precious metals. Well, that could be what Paul is saying here. But I think the second view is more likely to reflect Paul's meaning. You see, in this second view, when you think about gold, silver, and precious stones and compare them to the second category, wood, hay, and straw, which, which category, in your mind, is going to survive the fire? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? The wood, the hay, and the straw are gonna be burned up in an instant. Gold, silver, and precious stones, however, will not. In fact, they even get purified by fire. You know, I think what Paul is saying here is simply this. To live with eternity in mind is to build your life with the kinds of things that ultimately, in the final analysis, they're going to last. Things that are actually going to be shown to be pure, when they are subjected to the purifying fire of God's judgment, because remember, God observes it all. Ethel Sutton shares a story of a British soldier who was blinded in battle. He had a real gift when it came to playing the piano, and he would often play for the wounded there in the London hospital near his home. He was a marvelous piano player. He was totally blind as he was playing. And oftentimes he would hear the shuffle of feet as he was playing that would come and go as people would come in and out of that area. But he tried to play his best and not be distracted. His motive was simple. His motive was pure. He simply wanted to give his best effort. And he wanted to do everything in his power to perhaps somehow comfort and inspire his fellow soldiers who were struggling through their painful injuries. 
He wanted to encourage them to keep hope alive. Well, one day, as he was playing, he came to a point where he paused his playing between a couple of songs. And as he was there without playing, and there was a little more quiet than typically he would have, he heard a bystander nearby that was clapping enthusiastically. And he kind of turned his sightless eyes in that general direction, and the pianist smiled, and he asked, who are you? I am your king, was the astonished reply. Without realizing it, he had been using his talent to entertain the king of England, who he himself had come in order to encourage and cheer the wounded. Grace Fellowship, whether we're aware of it or not, the King of Kings sees all of our efforts. His assessment is really the only one that matters at the end of the day. And we would all do well to build our lives in a way that will receive his proclamation. As it says in the scriptures, we yearn to hear these words from the Lord, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Grace Fellowship, let's build on the right foundation when it comes to our lives. Let's build with quality. And third and finally, let's build with urgency because this life is like a mist. In James chapter four, verse 14, we read the following words, speaking about the brevity of life. Why, you do not even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? All of us, we are like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The urgency of life and all that is at stake means that every moment matters. What we've done with our money, with our time, with our influence, with our bodies, with our gifts, with our abilities, it all matters for all of eternity. Every moment matters. Randy Elkhorn has a helpful illustration where he says, Imagine you're alive at the end of the Civil War. You're living in the South, but you're a Northerner. You plan to move home as soon as the war is over. And while in the South, you've accumulated lots of Confederate currency. Now, suppose you know for a fact that the North's going to win the war and the end is imminent. What would you do with your Confederate money? If you're wise, there's only one real answer, isn't there? You should immediately cash in your Confederate currency for U.S. currency, the only money that will have value once the war is over. Keep enough of that Confederate currency to meet your short-term needs, but that's all. As followers of Christ, We have inside knowledge, do we not, of a coming change in the worldwide economic situation. 
The currency of this world will be worthless at our death or Christ's return, both of which are imminent. This knowledge should radically affect our investment strategy. For us to simply accumulate vast earthly treasures in the face of an inevitable future like the one scripture speaks of is equivalent to stockpiling Confederate money. It's not just wrong, it's foolish. You see, there's this thing that I'm gonna call kingdom currency. Kingdom currency is backed by the eternal treasury, not the Fed. It's the only medium of exchange recognized by the Son of God whose government will last forever. The currency of his kingdom is our present faithful service and sacrificial use of our resources for him. The payoff in eternity will be what Paul called a firm foundation consisting of treasures beyond our wildest dreams. The very last chapter in the Bible, there are these words contained there at the end of the book of Revelation. And it's as if though the Lord wants to be sure that we get this urgent message about rewards. He wants us to get it loudly and clearly. In Revelation 22, verse 12, it says this, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Now, some of you that are here today hearing these words no doubt, or thinking to yourself, man, when I look in the rearview mirror and look back on my life, I've really blown it. I've wasted so many years and stewarded my life so poorly, there's no hope for many rewards for me in heaven. Grace Fellowship, remember this today and always. Hear me. God is a lot more concerned with your future than he is your past. Today, this day is a brand new day. Start today. Make a resolution to start today stewarding your life well according to God's word because we serve a God who is the great rewarder. If you live with eternity in view, you can actually face Judgment Day with total confidence. A dear elderly saint was near death and gave her pastor a, a strange request. She said, when my casket is opened at the funeral and all my friends come by for one last look, Pastor, I want you to see me ready to be buried with a table fork in my hand. She explained to her puzzled pastor, Pastor, I want you to tell the congregation, you know what it means when they clear the dishes from a big meal and someone says, keep your fork. 
When someone tells you after a good meal, keep your fork, you know that something good is coming. Maybe a piece of homemade apple pie, perhaps a slice of chocolate cake. But when someone says, keep your fork, it means something wonderful is on the way, pastor. And I want to be buried with a dessert fork in my hand. It will be my way of saying, the best is yet to come. And so it was. Everyone who saw her body in the casket saw her final witness. For her, death and judgment were not a disaster. They were dessert. May we live in such a way that death and judgment are not a disaster, but something we actually look forward to by God's grace with confidence. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for not only being generous and good and rewarding those that seek after you, but also being wise enough to motivate us by telling us that. Lord, you are a rewarder of those who seek you. And there is coming a day for every man and woman where we will stand before you and we will be judged. Every thought, every word, every deed, every action, every motive spread out on the table. God, we thank you that by the help of the Holy Spirit, we can sow now and reap treasures in heaven, gold, silver, and precious stones. Lord, I thank you that you're a God who takes us as we are. And whether we need to be encouraged to not grow weary in doing good, or if today marks the first day of living a completely different radical lifestyle, seeking to please you and be rewarded on that day, Lord, either way, I ask that you would help us to stay laser-focused on the reality that every moment matters. God, help us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and have many rewards on that day. In Christ's name, amen.